Ahoy, Buck fans! Are ye looking for a different kind of podcast that centers on the yellow-bellied opponents? Well, you've come to the right place. Get ready for an enjoyable, in-depth look back at the important moments, historical facts, and games for the Buccaneers against this week's opposition. It's the No Quarter Given podcast on the BuckPower.com podcast network. Now, let's get started with your co-hosts, Jason Powers and Peter Blake. All right, welcome back to episode number two on the BuckPower.com podcast network. This is the No Quarter Given Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Powers, my co-host, Peter Blake. We are going to break it down, all things Atlanta Falcons. The Bucks' rivalry with the Falcons goes all the way back to the 1970s when the Buccaneers just came into existence as a franchise, all the way up to now as one of our bitter rivals in the NFC South. So first off, I want to welcome Peter back to the podcast. Peter, welcome back, my man. What's going on, buddy? How you doing? Doing well, doing well. Before we get to the Falcons, we got to revisit last Thursday night, Raymond James Stadium, Super Bowl banner unveiled, NBC. Everybody thought the Bucks were going to win in a row, in, in easy fashion. Not so fast, my friend, like our boy Lee Corso says. Dak Prescott came out and played very well. The Buck offense was a little bit festive, and we like to have some turnovers. We've had four <laughs> turnovers in the game, a little sloppy. You know, your our running back situation, Fournette created a turnover, Ronald Jones. Your thoughts on the Bucks Cowboys 31-29 victory late, late Thursday night. Exciting game. Uh, you look, Brady gets it late. You everybody in the building knows that most likely the Bucks are gonna win, but you know, the four turnovers, the hundred yards of penalties, just not a good way to start the season. Good thing they get that out of their system. I'm surprised by the Dallas Cowboys, but at the end of the day, the reason why Dak Prescott gets that extension is because what he did on the field last Thursday night, over 400 yards of passing, he looked great. And that defense has some work to do. And then on top of it, they had some uh, injuries there that really hurt them, especially the SMB injury. But besides that, Bucks get the win, 1-0, but lots of things to clean up. And good thing, uh, Jason Powers, you got about 16 more uh, games to do that. That's right. That's right. And, that, and again, Tom Brady with another fourth quarter, last two-minute drive. Ryan Suckup with the game winner at the gun, basically. Again, um, Buccaneer defense, like you met, mentioned Sean Murphy Bunning. Looks like he's going to be on IR, which is a minimum of three weeks, so probably three weeks to a month for him. You know, um, no, no other major injuries that, that I saw other than Murphy Bunning, but that's a big one because he's a good player in the secondary. Jamel Dean got picked on a little bit last week, but again, you expect the Buccaneers to clean it up a little bit as we head into week two with the Atlanta Falcons coming to coming to, back to Raymond James for, for a week two NFC South showdown. Just give me your general, over the course of time, what is your general thought of the Atlanta Falcon franchise? Well, I remember there was a lot of blowouts, and this has been uh, a rivalry that has stemmed back to when they joined uh, the same division in 2002. But even before then, uh, there were some, uh, there were some you know, games there where there was a lot of blowouts, didn't necessarily favor the Bucs, don't have a lot of great memories. In fact, I remember watching a game, uh, I think it was like the early uh, 90s, uh, late 80s, where the Bucs are just getting – you know, it handed to them at the old Atlanta 
Fulton County Stadium where the Braves used to play. It's 35 to seven. You're still watching it. And it's like, oh man, this is not good. Will this ever get better? And then, of course, they're in the division together. And there's been some games throughout the years where the Bucs have, you know, definitely been dominant. But, you know, besides that, you know, 28 27 in favor of the Falcons. It's always close. They're always close contest. Even last year. Yep. Jason, I'm going back to last year. That first match up there, the Bucs have everything to lose at that point. They're down 17 to nothing. I'm covering the game. We're doing the halftime show, and I'm speechless because the Bucs don't even have 100 yards of offense, and I have no answers, no solutions. Their defense is not able to get off the field, and, of course, the Bucs come back and win that game 31-27 to in care of Antonio Brown with the game-winning touchdown there for them, but it's always, you know, close between both of these teams. And like you said, festive with the turnovers. It's always festive with the Atlanta Falcons and Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You know, my, my, my early recollections of the Falcons, obviously the Bucs and the Falcons were not in the same division. You would think they would have been geographically positioned where they are for, for, for many, many years up until 2002. The Falcons were in the NFC West. The Bucs were in the NFC North. Or the you know the, the the central division with Green Bay, Minnesota, Chicago, Detroit, which was always an odd thing. I mean, Atlanta was out west with the 49ers, with the Rams, and those guys. So until 2002, when they did some division realignments, you know, we didn't see each other a whole lot. And you would have thought geographically we would have been. But my early recollections of the Falcons, and you won't, you probably won't remember this, but there used to be a, a little a little spot on the NFL coverage called. Alcoa presents fantastic finishes. It was just a little blurb. And one of the ones I always remember was Steve Bartkowski threw a Hail Mary to Billy White Shoes Johnson against the 49ers. And he caught the he caught the Hail Mary at like the seven-yard line in the last play of the game and juked like four different 49ers to get into the end zone to win the game back in the early 80s. So that was always my vision of the Atlanta Falcons. Barkowski was a big time quarterback in the, in the eight seventies and eighties for Atlanta. Obviously you had guys like Deion Sanders that played for the Falcons in the late eighties. William Andrews was a good running back, but I, that's the one memory I always remember about the Falcons was Alcoa presents fantastic finishes. Nice. nice. <laughs> good stuff there. And we're definitely aging ourselves. I remember Jerry Glanville, you know, the whole yeah. thing was leaving tickets for Elvis because Elvis was uh, supposed to show up, but of course Elvis left the building. I always remember Jerry Glanville making, yeah. you know, that kind of fun. Of course, him and Sam Weiss, they would go, uh, they had uh, some trouble there because uh, back in their Houston Cincinnati uh, days, right. With Weiss hanging about 61 points on them and didn't necessarily like that too much. So I remember hearing the broadcast because once again, when there were home games, you're always listening to Gene. You're always listening to the broadcast because the game could never be shown because there was always blackouts. And I remember them running a linebacker a couple of times just to, you know, kind of, uh, you know, Jesse Solomon who ended up playing for the Buccaneers. Right. Right. Which is crazy in itself. Right. I mean, six degrees of separation and having an older linebacker run, be a running back just to, you know, basically rub it in uh, to the Bucs at that point. And they had no chance to win that, that game. That was yeah. Jerry Glanville being Jerry Glanville. But you got to have a great personality like that. Sometimes you got to have the villain in Glanville, especially when they changed to the black colors, the, yeah. the black and it, it just. It, it that and you had the, you had the era when MC Hammer was very involved with the Falcon franchise. 
when yep. they were making their Super Bowl run, too legit to quit, the Dirty Birds, all that oh, stuff in the God. late nineties. We're gonna yes. get we're gonna get to that. So hold your thought. We're gonna get to that. First thing I want to hit on: coaching connections between the Bucks and the Falcons. When you look at it, there's actually several names that have coached in both spots that that the fans and the historians of the Buccaneers and the Falcons are very familiar with. Lehman Bennett. He was one of the guys that followed after John McKay. He was the head coach formerly of the Falcons. The Bucks hired him, I believe, in 1985. was the time they hired him for Lehman Bennett. Every, the nickname around Tampa after he got hired was Lehman's Lemons because the Bucks were terrible during those Lehman Bennett years when he was the head coach here in Tampa. You know, uh, yeah. Dirk Cutter, obviously, a former head coach of the Buccaneers. Oh. Had many a years was he was the offensive coordinator in Atlanta for Matt Ryan. You have Mike Smith, who was oh. head, co- head coach in Atlanta, then became the defensive coordinator with the Buccaneers. You call that defense? I mean, Cutter. I mean, Jason, come on. Did you watch Mike Smith's defense? Was that really defense at the point? I mean, I felt bad for the guy because he seemed like a great defensive coordinator. Until coaches get down here with the Bucs for some reason. That was one of the worst defenses that he was a coordinator of. Uh, I'll never forget it. It seemed like it was the 15 to 20 yard where uh, the guy backs off 15 to 20 yards. That would be the quarterback. So the wide receiver. So it's like, what in the world? Is soft coverage. On? Very soft, soft coverage. <laughs> well, the, and the funny thing is, Mike Smith had a very good run as the head coach in Atlanta. He right, a lot of games. Right, it, it was like a social distancing defense before the <laughs> happened. And last but not least, Raheem Morris, the former mm-hmm. Buccaneer head coach, was the defensive coordinator last year. He ended up becoming the interim coach last year for the Falcons. When uh, who was the coach last year that got fired in Atlanta? The, the defensive coordinator of the Dallas Cowboys last week, Dan Quinn. Dan Quinn, there you go. So Raheem Morris obviously had his history here in Tampa, and then he had some history in Atlanta last year. Now Raheem is going to be somebody we're going to see next week when we preview the Rams game because he's now the defensive coordinator with the Los Angeles Rams. So lots of Buccaneer Falcon coaching uh, interactions between between the franchises. So who could forget the team, the Youngery team in 09 and then in 10 when they won 10 games uh, before that? Because there was not a team that won 10 games uh, with Raheem Morris and, of course, Josh Freeman. Uh, never forget that because that was the run for 10. And Bucks were so close to getting into the playoffs, if not for a couple calls. And, of course, Green Bay ends up winning that. Uh, they, they go on to win uh, the Super Bowl that year, and they only had, I believe, like nine wins, and they still won the Super Bowl. So All right, let's, so let's talk about the first-ever Bucks victory. Pre, it wasn't a regular season game. It was a preseason game. They beat the Falcons in 1976. <laughs> the game was actually played in Jacksonville, Florida. For, for Who knows why? Why it wasn't in Tampa or Atlanta, but it was in Jacksonville. Bucks get their first-ever preseason victory against the Falcons, 17-3. to you know, the Bucs win. The, the, they played three times in the 70s in the regular season. The Bucs were one and two. And, again, the Falcons weren't very good either in the 70s, so it was two struggling franchises, one and two in the 70s. You know, not a lot of, not a lot of history there. So we'll go to the 1980s. Mm. Three and two record for the Buccaneers in the 1980s. Kind of the, the, the highlight of the 80s was probably 1987. One Steve DeBerg 
Whoa. Yes, whoa. Who ended up playing for the Falcons, I believe, on their Super Bowl team as the backup quarterback in the 99th, in the the year the the Falcons went to the Super Bowl for Dan Reeves. I believe Steve. Who was the starting quarterback that year? Chris Chandler, who's the next Buccaneer. There we go. There we go. Crazy. The Dirty Birds, Jamal Anderson, the Dirty Birds. Yes. Uh, that team. Yes, absolutely. In 1987, the Bucks scored 48 points in the season opener here in Tampa. Steve DeBerg had a huge game, you know, throwing the ball in the Buccaneers. I actually remember that game vaguely because I was 14 years old at the time. I do remember that game when they scored 48. And that game, they've, I think the Bucks have eclipsed that 48 total. I think the Bucks have scored in the 50s a couple times since sure. then. But – but not up to that point, 48 was the high total opening day, 1987. And when you do something like that, people start to think, oh, man, this is this could be the turning of the corner. Right, Jason? I mean, this team is going to the playoffs. And then, of course, as you know, being a Buck fan. Uh, yeah. And remember, that was game one for Ray Perkins. Mm. That was Ray Perkins' first game as the head coach. So obviously everybody's thinking new coach. He was very much a disciplinarian. He was the Alabama coach. Everybody thought, okay, here comes, here comes the, here comes the, 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 the new regime. Right. And it didn't go so well after that. No, it did not. And it always was like that. And, you know, talking to Ricky Reynolds, a uh, former Tampa Bay Buccaneer yep. uh, during that time period, he would always say, he told me, I asked him about the three days and, and basically, and he kind of echoed a lot of the thoughts that a lot of former Buccaneer players had to say, about that time is, you know, once you get to those three days, you get to the season, you're basically just wore out at that point. Done. So the reason why, you know, you don't have those three days and you can never have those three days today is because the players are basically worn out. It's just amazing to think a coach who is coming out of college football and I get it. He, he wanted to instill that uh, Alabama toughness. Junction boys, the junction right. boy discipline. Right. Bear Bryant type of mentality <laughs> to the National Football League. And of course, it blew up in his face. Yeah. And I remember going to those training camps. I used to go to training camp at the University of Tampa back in the late 80s, not early 90s, when they would have three days. My dad actually used to referee some of the practices for Ray Perkins. And he would just come, he would tell me stories about how those guys were just cooked, knowing they'd have to practice. And, and literally, all three practices sometimes were in full pads. It's not like it was a walkthrough, you know, it was three, three practices and pads hitting every single practice. Pep and Rude Stadium and uh, you go out to one buck place, yes. you wouldn't even recognize it today. Back then, there were like, there were like little trailers. They're like little trailers out there. Yes. Crazy. They were staying in the dorms at UT. They <laughs> would stay in the dorms at UT back when UT was not very built up like it is today. So just, you know. Obviously, the NFL union and such has gotten way better with the conditions of handling player safety and all that stuff. But, I mean, there would be a mutiny if a coach ever – first of all, you can't do it, but it, there would be a literally a literal mutiny if a coach ever said we're practicing three times in a day in the Florida heat. Yes, absolutely, <laughs> as there should be. Yes. All right, let's go to the 1990s. Well, first of all, 80s. Deion Sanders comes aboard in the late 80s in Atlanta – Really sparked some interest in that franchise. They still weren't great, but they got a little better when Jerry Glanville got to town, 1990s. You know, you had the kind of the Jerry Glanville run and shoot offense. Remember, Mm -hmm. 
Brett Favre was a draft pick of the Atlanta Falcons originally. Yes. Spent, spent a year in Atlanta. Apparently he liked the nightlife a lot, a lot of drinking, a lot of partying. And then the Green Bay Packers come in and swoop him up for a first-round draft pick, and the rest is history is one Brett Favre. Yeah, and he was a second-round pick, and nobody knew what to think of him, uh, I believe, and I'm trying to think of the college he played. Southern Miss. Southern, Southern Miss. Miss. But, of course, did he not upset our – the State. Seminoles. Beat the Seminoles, and he beat Alabama. Wow. Yeah. I mean, who would have known, right? And and the guy couldn't even pronounce his name, Brett Favre or something like that. Favre, yep, uh, yep. Favre. <laughs> you know, the 1990s was kind of the Bobby Bear era of the Falcons. They were getting better. Glanville had them on a good trajectory. They could never really get over the top. They made the wild card game a couple times. Remember, they were in a brutal division with the 49ers of the 90s. The Rams were pretty decent several of those years. I mean, you weren't winning that division with the 49ers in town. Even the Saints were in that. Isn't that crazy, Jason? I mean, the NFC West, you have the Saints, the 49ers, the Rams. I mean, geographically, it's all messed up. It didn't make any sense at all. <laughs> You're exactly right. And, of course, it goes back to the what? The two legit to quit. They were excited about what was going on there. Of course, you had MC Hammer and Deion Sanders. And Sanders is trying to be a rapper at that point because he could do no wrong. I mean, but as soon as he left the Atlanta Falcons, you were like, you know, good. Because, but yep. you knew when he went to the 49ers or the Dallas Cowboys, you, you respected him because he was a top corner in the game, but you knew that team had a chance. Both teams at the time had a chance to win a Super Bowl. And because we all knew of Deion Sanders because of his Florida State days. Correct. So we were, we were very happy when he got out of the, when he left Atlanta. And obviously the, the, the division, you know, we weren't, we were not in the same division at that point, but still, I mean, that was a big loss for the Falcon franchise was losing Deion Sanders because he was a ticket draw. You know, you had you had uh, the run-and-shoot offense with Bobby Bear, Glanville, June Jones, all that kind of stuff was going on in Atlanta. And it was exciting in Atlanta. They were scoring a lot of points. They were giving up a lot of points. They were competitive. You know, in the Bucks during the early 90s, were not very competitive. You yeah. know, this was before Tony Dungy got to town. Dungy got to town in, what, I think, 95 or 96? Yep. 96. Yeah. 96, yep. And and I look back at a game and I always go back to it because it's what it's the best versus the best. And at the time, Horace Copeland as a wide receiver, right. Matching up versus a Deion Sanders and any time a buck or any wide receiver could beat a Deion Sanders. But, you know, Horace Copeland scores two touchdowns. One of those was against Deion. It looks like two touchdowns at that point were on Deion. And of course, uh, the Bucks went 31 to 24. And I believe at the time, Craig Erickson yes. is quarterback out of where? Miami. There you go. And Horace Copeland was a Miami guy too. Yes. And we had Lamar, and we had Lamar Thomas on the other side, who was a Miami guy. So, you know, we were drafting a lot of Miami and Florida State guys, which is good. Because again, remember a few years later, we drafted Warwick Dunn, Derek Brooks in the same draft. Warren Sapp was a, you know, before then we really didn't draft any of the stud athletes at Florida, Florida state, Miami until about the early nineties. We started to do that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, you had Lawrence Dossie. I remember him as a wide receiver. You also had Casey Weldon who was in that game in 1991 Casey Weldon versus of course, Lamar Thomas, Horace Copeland. Yeah. I'm one of the greatest college football games of all time. Of course, who could forget wide rights? I, I was there, brother. I was on the I was on the field for that. I was the beginning of my, you know, that was my Florida State career starting in 1991. So I was 
I was I lived it up close and personal. So mm. I know all about it. Never forget it, do you? No, no. All right, so let's get to the late 90s. Tony Dungy takes over. We're going to the 2000s. The Bucks really are starting to ascend. You know, the Bucks in the 2000s, they really dominated the series. They were 10 and 6 in the 2000s against the Falcons. Remember 2002, they joined the division of the NFC South. The Falcons had that little three-year run from like 98 to 2001 or 2 where they went to the Super Bowl. Dan Reeves was the coach. Chris Chandler, Jamal Anderson, you know, all those guys kind of came aboard and they were very competitive, but the Buccaneers with that Tampa two defense, Michael Vick comes to town in the two thousands as well. Mm. That really flared up this rivalry between Tampa and Atlanta, huh? It really did. And you know, Vic, if you look at it kind of dominated the league, but when it came down to Tampa, uh, Tampa always had his kryptonite and it was Derek Brooks, number 55 and in the, the front four. In the yes. front four. That front four would get after it. And you remember the game in 2002 where they just took over that game with the defensive effort with Derek Brooks, or excuse me, I think it's Warren Sapp shoveling it. Or no, it was Derek Brooks? Or no, Sapp intercepted. I was actually at the game because I was living in Birmingham and I would try to go to most of the times they play in Atlanta. I would try to get over. I was there that day. Sapp intercepted a fumble. I think it was a sack fumble. Yep. Sap catches it out of the air, laterals it to Brooks, and Brooks goes about 30 yards for a touchdown. And here in Atlanta, the Falcons looking to come back. They trail by seven. Johnson hit, intercepted by Sap. The lateral to Brooks, and the Tampa Bay defense has scored for the fourth consecutive game. And I tell you right now, it is a daily thing for me to check Twitter and, and BucksPower.com with Paul. All the clips that he has, he's definitely a Bucks historian. Love the clips. It brings me back to when I was younger uh, just to see all that stuff and brings back a lot of great memories. No, for sure. I mean, and you had obviously in the 90s, I mean, 2000s, you had, you know, all the Brad Johnson and all the, you know, the whole throughout the 2000s, the Josh Freeman, you know, again, very outside, kind of the Bucks started to go down in probably what, 2006? I think it's 2003 when they they're losing 30 to seven. And that's not necessarily the story at the point. Of course, the Bucks come back, they make it close. But the story is that Rich McKay has a falling out with John Gruden in the organization. And of course, you know, everybody talks about Tony Dungy and, and Monty Kiffin as well as they should. But the true architect of this whole thing from the very beginning was Rich McKay. And yet he's in the press box with the Atlanta Falcons and the Falcons are winning. I never would get that out of my mind. And then, of course, you want to talk about players that, you know, basically leave eventually. That would be War Dunn. Of course, he left. Right. Uh, Great you know, point. The Great Super point. Bowl. So you see War Dunn, you see Rich McKay, and you see the Falcons winning that game. And even though the Bucs made it close, it was just gut-wrenching. Because you remember, Gruden and McKay had a falling out because Gruden always liked Bruce Allen was kind of his guy. Right. Obviously, Rich McKay had been here for a long time as the GM. He right. goes to Atlanta to be the GM and president of football operations for many, many years. And I believe he's still with the franchise in an in, in administrative capacity. So, again, another connection between the Bucks and the Falcons from a you know a, 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 a administrative perspective. Because Rich McKay was probably our – he's probably been our best general manager in the history of the franchise, if you're fair. I, I agree besides Jason Light, but if Jason Light wins another Super Bowl here, you're going to definitely have to make the case. I mean, right. I get it. I'm kidding. Get it. Don't what Jason Light has done, but I absolutely agree with you. Uh, you know, Rich McKay was absolutely a big time 
uh, part of what was going on with this team. It was unbelievable. All right, 2007, before we get to the last decade, Michael Spurlock, do we remember that name? Mm-hmm. We Michael sure Spurlock do. was a little-known return man from the University of Mississippi, Ole Miss. He was the first Buccaneer ever to return a kickoff for a touchdown after 31 years. Boxer Shatter returning the kick with Michael Spurlock. Spurlock passed the 20, passed the 30. Could it be? Could it be? The great curse has been lifted. There goes Michael Spurlock. And for the first time ever, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have returned a kickoff for a touchdown. Santa Maria. I think 31 years as a franchise, and we finally run a kickoff back for a touchdown in 2007 against the Atlanta Falcons. It seemed longer than that, honestly. I don't <laughs> think it, I mean, it was a running joke. Would the Bucs ever be able to win in the cold? Yes, of course they did. Would they ever be able to win on the West Coast? Yes, of course they did because they won uh, their Super Bowl there. And would they ever be able to have a kick return touchdown? And, of course, they finally did it. And I still remember the broadcast. I'm just sitting there and I'm amazed. I'm like, is, it, is he going to do it? He's, has he done it? And the announcer's going crazy. And I believe the announcer goes, ah, Santa Maria. Ah, <laughs> that's funny. Yep. That's, uh, I believe that's, I, I believe that's Matt Vaskersians. That's his, it is. Believe, yep. That's his kind of his big saying for big plays. He's a baseball guy now for ESPN. If you're a baseball watcher, he's on ESPN every Sunday night. That's his big saying on a huge play is Santa Maria. Santa Maria. And it, it worked so well because, you know, at the time, of course, you know, the Bucks, uh, you know, Pirates and everything. It's just beautiful. It was, it was absolutely tremendous. So let's but get to I, the 2000. Yeah, sorry. I mean to cut you off. Let's get to the 2010s. The Bucks are kind of in a, in a downward spiral. They're going through coaches left and right. Raheem, Greg Schiano. You know, Lovey Smith, all the all the names that we, you know, Dirk Cutter, and finally Bruce Arians here the, at the latter part of the, of the decade. But the Bucks are ten and fourteen against the Falcons in the 2010s, highlighted by the 2014 disaster. I believe it was a Thursday night game <laughs> in Atlanta with Matt Ryan and company, fifty-six to nothing at one point. The Bucks just get absolutely embarrassed on national TV. I mean, yeah, and look, that's one of those moments where you're like, you don't think it's going to be a blowout. You're rushing to get there. You're rushing to watch the game because it's Thursday night football. The Bucks were never on prime time. You <laughs> finally get the opportunity to be on prime time. And what happens? You get your doors blown off. And not only do you get your doors blown off, but you get shot out 56 to nothing. Are you serious? I mean, it was just, uh, they end up scoring 14, but it was okay. at one point well, it was 56 to nothing. It was 56 to nothing. I forgot. Cause I probably turned it off. So it's 56 to 14. Yes. But there was moments like that in those two thousands, even when the bucks went on prime time and that Falcons game, it, Jesus. It's, like, it's embarrassing because you look, you're getting all your snacks together. You're getting ready to watch the game. You're with your dad at the time. My dad, big time Bucks fan, and, and we're excited. And, you know, there's some type of optimism. Of course, you're looking forward to that game. And then just to look like that and have that effort was just so embarrassing. And if you went on Twitter, it, it almost like it was almost like the, the sky was falling at that point if you're a Bucks fan because 
everybody and anybody were talking about it. And it was just like, okay, you, you can't really sell this anymore. This is bad. And I believe that was, I believe that was year one of Lovey Smith. Right. 2014. The guy that we had anointed, we really wanted, we brought him back. Everybody thought the old, the, the old regime of Lovey and Monty Kiffin, we're going to bring back the glory days. And it was just a disaster in year one. It was. And, and that was a foreshadowing of things to come because he thought, well, Lovey Smith, he had this winning record with Chicago. Yep. Why didn't he get fired? He was in his basement and he's coming up with all these plays and he <laughs> turned to the Tampa two defense. And it was nothing like that at all. In fact, it was a complete and total disaster at that point. Just yep. a Crazy. disaster. Crazy. Oh, so- yeah, so we get to the end of the 2000s. Obviously, Bruce Arians is aboard. The Bucks are the Bucks are going this way, and uh, it looks like now with Arthur Smith in charge, they're having to rebuild. Matt Matt Ryan's on at the end of the at the end of the road. Probably they look terrible on Sunday against the Eagles. It's going to be interesting to see how how long it takes this Falcon franchise to recover because they got to get a quarterback. That's that's the first thing they got to do. Matt Ryan, he might this probably is his last year in Atlanta, one way or the other. You can't keep going with Matt Ryan. They got rid of Julio Jones. They're kind of tearing it down. You know, defensively, they're not very good. Your thoughts of the of the Falcon franchise, the state of the Falcon franchise, 2021. Well, I mean, for me, they have they've had defensive problems for the last couple of years. And of course, that hurt them in that Super Bowl versus Tom Brady, 28 to three. And of course, he's never going to let the Falcons live that down. He's always going to remind them of that. And for me, they should have drafted a quarterback in the offseason. You had Matt Ryan. He's declining. You have an opportunity to get a quarterback like a Justin Fields, maybe possibly a Trey Lance, somebody like that, even a Matt Jones or, yeah, a Matt Jones. Right. And you don't draft him. You go with Matt Ryan. You go with Kyle Pitts. And you look at the way they played against Philadelphia. They had so many deficiencies last year in the red zone, 26, and they were still not able to really, you know, do anything in that red zone score a touchdown. So have they solved the problems? Of course they have weapons. No, they don't have Julio Jones, but they have Calvin Ridley. They have the young rookie out of Florida, Kyle Pitts. So they definitely still have some weapons there. And of course, Matt Ryan, if you can get time, which he couldn't get on Sunday, and that may be a matchup there, Jason Powers. Shaq and JPP and Joe Tryon and the the crew up front are licking their chops because – Matt Ryan got beat up Sunday against Philadelphia and Philadelphia is not known to be a very good front four. Why not put 56 on them? You know, just like, just like the Falcons did in the past, put 56 on them. That defense did not very well. No, the Cowboys, they didn't get after Dak Prescott enough, put enough pressure on him, put him on the ground and blow this team out. Look, they won both meetings, but like we talked about, it was close in the beginning in the first matchup when the Falcons came down here, to Raymond James, uh, they basically put them away on their way to the Super Bowl win. I would say, look, blow out all day long. This offense needs to uh, do what they did versus the Cowboys, and this defense needs to show up, and they got a great opportunity to do that versus this struggling Atlanta Falcon offense. And you wonder if the Falcons are going to rue the day. Not that Kyle Pitts won't be a great player, but they could have had Justin Fields, who is a Georgia boy, Grew up in the Atlanta area, went right. to Georgia. He could have been the he could be the heir apparent to Matt Ryan, but they take Kyle Pitts, who again is a hell of a hell of a prospect. But if you don't have the quarterback, then Kyle Pitts is not very effective. 
Right. You know? and if, if you can't protect your quarterback and the quarterback can't get right. the ball to him, it doesn't matter how many wide receivers right. you have on the outside. We've seen that before with the Bucks. So I look for, I think the Bucks, I think you'll see the Bucks win by minimum 17 points Sunday. I think, again, that the Bucks have had extra rest, they've had the long weekend. I think you're going to see a more focused defensive effort out of Todd Bowles. I think you're going to see them get after Matt Ryan. And I don't think the Buccaneer offense is going to get stopped by the Atlanta defense. No, not at all. And watch the victim of volume and a Ronald Jones who's starting this week. <laughs> confidence back. He'll be fine. That offense will roll. And I absolutely agree with you. They can win this game at least by 20 points and they should. All right, Peter, before we get out of here, tell everybody where they can find you. Uh, me and you are going to be ho- doing some hosting this weekend for the Bucks pregame, halftime, and postgame show. Tell the audience where they can find us. Absolutely, at Ducky Sports Lounge, 1719 West Kennedy Boulevard in Tampa, in downtown Tampa, right down the street from the stadium, live on NSPN, Next Gen Sports Media, where Sports media evolves, and of course, you have an evolution. It's called the Sports Web, and on I Love St. Pete, we always say three things to cap off the show, to start it off and end it. Bring the passion. Bring your excitement. Just don't bring any nonsense. I'm your host, Peter Blake, giving you something to think about. Absolutely. Peter does a great job. I, I helped Peter with some, some of the analysis on, on, on the Sunday uh, we're at, at our remote location at Ducky, so he does a great job setting it up. Good Let's ju- be honest. You calm me down because there's times there where I feel like I'm rushed and you're like, just relax a little bit. You're, you're kind of like yeah. the Aaron Rodgers, you know, the, the steady hand. Relax. Everything's going to be okay. That's right. And I appreciate that, Powers. No, really that's do. good. All right. So you're listening to the BuckPower.com podcast network. This is the episode number two of the No Quarter Given podcast. I'm Jason Peter. This is all things Buccaneer history. This is the Atlanta Falcons episode next week. We're talking Los Angeles Rams. The Bucs got a very tricky two-game road trip before we head to the epicenter of the football world, probably the biggest game in the NFL history with our boy Tom Brady going back to Foxborough in week four. But next week, we will preview the Los Angeles Rams Buccaneer history. So thanks for tuning in, guys. See you next week, and we'll be back with you on the No Quarter Given Podcast. Join us again soon for another preview of a scallywag buccaneer foe when we come back with another No Quarter Given podcast. And make sure for the best in historical buck coverage, you go to buckpower.com. And as always, keep listening to the buckpower.com podcast network.